0: Okay, let's get this going, huh? All right, so over the last few weeks, we have been learning a lot about spiritual warfare, right? Actually, a couple months, it seems like. Uh, JR uh, started kicking us off on that some time ago, and we've had messages from Corey Swanson on the reassurance of no condemnation. And again, uh, I also highlight VG's message last week on Jehoshaphat. Uh, that was was fantastic, was it not? Um, I don't know about you guys, but I have been loving this series, shall we say, on spiritual warfare, and it has never in my life been more applicable than now. So I'm going to continue on that this morning. Uh, I'm going to continue on that thread and discuss some practical steps for preparing yourself for spiritual warfare. So my hope for you this morning, uh, for all of you that are listening and all of you that are here is that God gives you three things. Number one, something to be encouraged about. Number two, something about God's word or about him that you've learned. Something new. And number three, three tangible and practical steps that you can evaluate your readiness for battle, that you can turn off the on-stream uh, listening or walk out the door prepared to have Uh, Three steps at your disposal to kick some serious enemy butt. Does that sound okay? Yes. All right. So last week, BG said he comes from a Baptist background. I get the pleasure of staring at faceless faces this morning. So no smiles that I can see, no frowns. So when I say, "Does that sound good?" or uh, "Or something sounds positive to you," I can't see your smile. So you need to say, "Amen, brother." Amen, brother. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. All right. So before we get into all that, I'm going to get a little bit transparent and a little bit raw, and I'm going to share a couple of entries out of my journal. So I don't journal a whole lot. I know I should. Uh, but like Paul, I often don't do the things I should and do the things that I shouldn't. I got a long ways to go. What can I say? But when I do journal, it really comes from the core. Uh, it's, it's a time that I really feel uh, prompted to really communicate the pen with God. So here goes. March 18th, 2020. COVID-19 is front and center in everyone's lives right now. It's amazing how this thing is worldwide, how every country is impacted, and most countries are in some form of quarantine or lockdown. Schools have been closed since Monday here in Montana, but I've been very peaceful and calm through all of this. I know it's because my hope rests in you, Lord. Lord, continue to give me peace and comfort in this situation. Thank you for giving me the peace you've already given me. I lift this whole situation to you, Lord, Lord, I want you to be revealed in this. April 1st, 2020, this is just two weeks later. God, what is your purpose in all of this? I have to admit, fear creeps in ever so slightly into my mind every now and then, and worry, a fear and a worry of what the world will look like in the future, what the long-term future holds. Will this ever end? What will life be like for Myla and Lindy? Those are my two daughters. Will I still have a job in the future? What will life look like and what does it look like right now for so many people in the world? You are testing me, Lord. It feels like to be generous with my finances while I'm having anxiety about them at the same exact moment. I know I shouldn't put stock in the world. You are front and center for me, Lord. Show me what your plan is today for me and my family. I will rest peacefully in you, Lord. So there's stuff in there that I'm not overly proud of writing, but there's stuff in there that I'm not ashamed of either. And God met me and answered me and answered a number of prayers that I never even asked. The day I wrote that last entry, peace settled back into my life, and it really hasn't wavered since. God did that. In preparation for this message, I I happened upon those journal entries and came to realize the spiritual warfare that was happening in me right then and there. It wasn't until I looked back at these entries that I fully realized the reality of the spiritual warfare that was happening. The enemy was fighting to steal my peace and comfort in the Lord, doing everything he could to replace it with fear and worry and doubt. But I have the greatest warrior ever known and ever will be. And he won that spiritual battle. Thank you. Without me being any the wiser. That's my God. Would you agree with me that God is fighting and winning these spiritual battles in each and every one of you right now? Would you agree with me that he has been fighting and winning these spiritual battles for a really, really long time? Would you agree with me that he will continue to fight and win these spiritual battles until the enemy Ultimate and promised destruction. Amen. 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 Yes. So, uh, what are some practical steps that we can take for engagement in this spiritual warfare? Should we sit around and let God fight the fight and do nothing? Ephesians 6 says, Take a stand against the devil's schemes, stand your ground. That is a far cry from simply praying that God takes care of it. We must do our part for ourselves and for each other. Who here thinks it's more effective to fight as a team than all by yourself? Show of hands. Team. That's right. Is the body of Christ a better and more effective army united or divided? United, right? To reinforce that, let's look at some scripture, see if that works. There we go. So I'm going to, for the benefit of those that are just listening online, they can't see this. So I'm just going to read them very quickly. That went too fast. There we go. Colossians 3, 12, 14. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Romans 14, 19. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 13. Psalms 1, 11. 1 Timothy 2, 8. Ephesians 4, 1 to 5. 2 Chronicles 30, 12. John 17, 20 to 23. Ephesians 4, 13. And Colossians 2, 2. Hopefully you get the point. There is a lot of scripture, aka the truth, about a united body, one that is not divided. Let's look at closer at a couple of these, and I'm going to set the context first on Ephesians four one to five. Paul wrote this letter to the city, of, or to the believers in the city of Ephesus. So, Ephesus was this really critical port uh, in uh, that time that had a lot of success and a lot of financial, well, a lot of financial success, but it was a city rife with promiscuity, idol worship, earthly philosophies. Paul wrote this letter of encouragement to the believers in Ephesus to reinforce that their identity was different than the culture of the city. Does that sound familiar? Here's what Paul says. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Let's flip over to John 17, 20 to 23, and I'll set the context again. Jesus is in the last days of his mission. He's preparing to return to the Father. It's in those moments that he prays for himself and his disciples. And then he prays for you and me. Let that marinate for a minute. While he was about to go to the cross and be crucified, he was with his closest of closest friends, and he took the time to pray for you and me. Let's take a look at that prayer. My prayer is not for them in reference to the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me in this message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Look, when we as the body of Christ are united in peace, patience, humility, and gentleness, we are living out the desire that Jesus has for us. What's the opposite of peace, love, patience, humility, and gentleness How about arguing eight annoyance Arrogance, insensitivity. When we as the body of Christ speak in ways that cause division, it becomes a stronghold for the enemy. And we heard a lot about strongholds the last two weeks. That brings us to our first practical step for spiritual warfare. Find your trigger. This is the thing that causes disunity, a riff, a wedge between you and someone else or a group of someone else's. Usually, this is the subject, or subjects, plural, that uh, you're passionate about. It's something that stirs an emotional response in you. Uh, Let me repeat that. It's something that stirs an emotional response in you. Now, being passionate and emotional about things can be a beautiful thing. It becomes unhealthy and unchristlike when that passion and emotion blind you into arguing, annoyance, disrespect, mocking, And my favorites, gossiping and bad-mouthing. Back to Ephesians, thank you again. Back to Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give, what? Grace to those who hear. The Good News translation says, do not use harmful words. I reckon if Paul was writing this letter today, he might pen something to the effect of let no corrupt communication proceed out your fingertips to social media. James 4.11 says, brothers, do not slander one another. Be mindful of the prowling lion that seeks to devour. Do not let him get into the kinks of your armor and irritate you to the point of causing division. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? Bull roar. (laughs) Words will slice and dice and eat at our relationships and our unity. And I am confronted by my own sharp tongue more than I care to admit, you guys. I catch myself having conversations about what I feel is someone else's incompetence or illogical thinking. And it's not edifying. It does not minister grace. I have been an unfortunate witness to my own scoffing, arguing, and mocking of others. This is not the heart of God. It is the lying, le- lurking, and baiting me. And when I catch myself having these conversations, I ask myself is this building them up? Is it encouraging? Is it ministering grace? My wife, Holly, uses this phrase that she's been teaching our girls from day one. Dare to be different. That phrase is so applicable here. I offer this practical step to you. Dare to be different than the world. When you're about to comment or post to social media, or you're engaged in a conversation with someone, anyone, Stop and ask yourself this question. Is what I'm saying about to be helpful for building those up in need and ministering grace? Be mindful. Respectful discussion is one thing. Disgust, mocking, and insults are another thing. Be mindful of the wedge. So I offer you, seek out your trigger. We must be united if we are to win this spiritual war we're in. When we exhibit unity through peace, love, patience, humility, gentleness, we let the world know that God sent Jesus and that he loves them even as he loved his own son. Good. And when we do that, we strike a mortal blow to the spiritual forces of evil. Yes. We kick the devil's butt. Amen. Number two practical step. Find your time. All right. So, what is the most valuable time of day for me, for you, for me? Uh, it is the first hours of the morning. It's when the sun comes up. I love when the sun comes up. It's like the sun is shining God's love for me uh, right on me, right then and there. I'm like invigorated with the whole day before me. For perhaps for you, it's the last moments of the day. When everyone else is asleep, you're wound down, relaxed. You have peace and quiet for the first time since you drugged yourself out of bed that morning. These moments, these times that you value the most, those are the first fruits of your time. We have so many resources that God has blessed us with. Money, skills that are useful to others, our gifts, and our time. So what does this have to do with the first fruits? Well, I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Let's flip all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter four, starting in verse three. "In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of his soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked at favor with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Clearly, God does not like vegetables. He likes steak And cheeseburgers and bacon Can I get an amen? Well, maybe not Alright Let's look a little closer at that passage Abel brought portions from the firstborn Of his flock These were the best and most valuable portions Of his flock that he gave to God He prioritized God by In bringing this offering His brother, on the other hand did not choose the best to give. He simply gave a portion. And by God's response, it was likely the leftovers. It had nothing to do with fruits and vegetables versus meat. In my NIV translation, the word fruits" is used 30 times. Firstborn is mentioned 107 verses. Nearly all of these are in reference to the value and importance that these firsts are to God and to God's people. Passage after passage discusses honoring God by offering these valuable firsts to him. Perhaps put the simplest, Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. It's clear we are to offer God by honor God by giving him the best of what we have. Today, most apply this concept to their money set aside 10% of their paycheck before paying any bills or putting anything in savings. I contend that this concept applies to everything in our lives. Especially these days, when our time becomes more and more valuable with the busyness of life, we have the opportunity to honor God by giving him the best moments of our day. The first fruits of our time. And what is our reward? Our reward is the closeness of God. James 4.8 says, "Come come near to God and he will come near to you. When we spend time with God, we draw near to him and he draws near to us. Spending time with God keeps us connected. It keeps our skills honed. BG talked last week about a great example of knowing scripture. And using that as a resource in spiritual warfare. He used that example of Jehoshaphat and how Jehoshaphat used his knowledge and the promises of God to win a seemingly hopeless battle. And if you haven't heard it, I encourage you to go back and listen to that message. I also encourage you to carve out some of the best moments of your day to spend with God. If you aren't doing that now, give it a try. Commit to 10 minutes of the best part of your day and spend it with God. Read his word, worship him, talk to him and listen. Matthew 6.6 6 says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to the father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Mark 1.35 says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, consistently set aside time to spend with his Father. He prayed and was encouraged and strengthened by it. I attest to you, I guarantee, I need encouragement and strength from God a whole heck of a lot more than Jesus did. So he carved out alone time. The best time to spend with God, I'm sure, is heck going to do it. Let's relate that back to spiritual warfare. Going back to James chapter 4. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He will flee from you. When we spend time with God and submit ourselves to him, the devil doesn't stand a chance. That becomes a spiritual warfare victory. Number three practical step. Find your weapon. Each of us has been given weapons to use in spiritual warfare. A few weeks back, Jason Harris gave us a fantastic message on the armor of God. It's weapons that we all have been given to use in warfare. It's our job to become masters at using them. In addition to these weapons, God has given us particularly effective weapons, or weapon or weapons, plural, and these are often referred to as gifts. Ephesians 4, 11 to 12 says, it was he he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And Romans chapter four, or sorry, Romans chapter 12, verses four to eight It says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously it's to lead, do so diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. We have each been given gifts and weapons. We are reassured in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we all have a part to play in the body of Christ. We now must learn to use these weapons like a master. Work, hack, chop, pound, crush the enemy. A weapon left in its scabbard is useless. It must be wielded. For some, their weapon is prayer and intercession, like my wife, Holly. For others, it's boldly speaking and demonstrating the power of Jesus Christ, like my friend, Connor. It could be leadership by speaking out against division and negative talk, like our leader, Jr. For still others, it's leading in worship, like the ones you saw today, Jeff and Jenny and Hannah, Mike, Brent, We've seen some wield the weapon of prophecy, like our friend Clem Ferris, and still others, it's mentoring the next generation, like Jane Anita Shirley or Jonas and Amy Candy. Bottom line our gifts are weapons, and we all have them. They are the activation of God's desire for his people, and the enemy is crushed by it. Your life has purpose. Listen to that again. Your life has purpose use your weapon to shine the light of Jesus in Matthew 5 16 we find Jesus telling us let your light shine on men that they may see the good deeds and praise your father in heaven seek to find your weapon that's where the previous step find your time comes in then grab hold of your weapon pull it from the scabbard and start swinging Be mindful not to swing recklessly. (laughs) Swing with precision and skill. Press into God and let him teach you how to use your weapon effectively. The world is in desperate need of poor Christian weapons in this spiritual warfare. We, as a body of believers, are in desperate need of each other's weapons. In these days of uncertainty, helplessness, hopelessness, and anxiety, Spiritual warfare we have been learning about is in full engagement. I implore you, rise up, rise up as children of God, wield the weapons that God gave you, use them to thwart the enemy's schemes, and use them for the advancement of King His kingdom. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, yes. Going back to the beginning. My hope this morning was that you received three things, something that encouraged you. For me, that encouragement came from the reassurance that God is continually fighting and winning spiritual battles on my behalf. I I hoped that you would learn something new about God or his word. Perhaps that was how your time can be your first fruits offering or how your gifting can be your weapon. And I offered that and hoped that you would get three tangible and practical steps to evaluate your readiness for battle. What were they again? Find your trigger, find your time, and find your weapon. Look, if you're listening this morning and you're feeling overwhelmed by the spiritual warfare that's happening right now, and you're promise to or you're prompted to welcome jesus into your heart if you want the greatest warrior of all to be fighting for you i encourage you to take action take a stand in your life here and now god longs for the heart of his children and desires you to accept his son jesus christ as lord of your life if you feel stirred about this don't delay we would love to talk to you. We're going to have a prayer team up here to my left to talk to you. In fact, if they could kind of work their way up there right now, that'd be great. They will answer questions that you have and pray with you. If you're listening online, our church contact information is available on the website. Give us a call. Send us an email. Don't delay. If you already have Jesus in your life, but you need some prayer and, helping get better positioned for spiritual battle, our prayer team would love to talk to you about that too and pray with you. All are well. I'm going to close by doing something a little different. Um, Instead of having you stand and pray with me, I'm going to have you stay seated and I'd like you just to position yourself to receive an offering, to receive a blessing. I just want to pray a blessing on you this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you Thank you for this body that is before you. Thank you for the activation of weapons. Thank you for the gifts that you give. Lord, I pray a blessing on this body right now. I pray that your face shine on them, Lord. That your favor be with them, Lord. And when the oceans rise and the storms come, Lord, shower your favor on them. Rise them above the waves. Settle peace into their lives, Lord. May they be blessed spiritually, physically, financially, Lord. Shower blessings on this body this morning. We welcome you into this place by the power given to us through your Son Jesus Christ. To pray, Amen. Amen. And thank you, Ryan.